Jesus, according to Matthew 4.23, the Bible says he did three things in his ministry. Number one, he preached the kingdom. Number two, he taught the people. And thirdly, he healed the sick and he cast out demons. Preach the kingdom. The word preach literally means to announce, to proclaim. He preached the kingdom, the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news of the kingdom, of the kingdom. So he talked about a kingdom. It wasn't just uh, something to believe in, like the gospel is just something you believe in, but it's actually a call to enter into a kingdom and to live and reside in a kingdom. So how do you live in a kingdom? How do you behave if you're part of a kingdom? What is the protocol What are the values and the belief systems and and the culture, the ethos, so to speak, of that kingdom? It's very important that we know how to live in a particular kingdom, right? It's it's really important when you move to another country to, to learn the language of that country, right? How many have ever heard someone say something They shouldn't have said, (laughs) you know, you go to a country where people speak uh, Espanol, right, Spanish, and then you try to speak Spanish and you say something and everybody's laughing at you, right? What did you just say? Hey, there's certain words, even in Tagalog, that they're similar. Well, you don't want to say those words. (laughs) It's important to know the culture of God's kingdom as well. What does God expect of us? So today's message, we're going to be examining the mandate of Jesus to participate in the expansion of the culture of the kingdom of God on the earth. God wants to spread his culture throughout the earth. That's an amazing thing. Jesus said that we are to pray that his father's kingdom would come to the earth, right? Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he also said, we're to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 10, 8, 9 says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. When the Bible speaks about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, it's meaning that it's touchable. It's within one's grasp. It's here, it's now, it's before you. And all you need to do is reach out and take it and enter it. Right? If you are in a prison cell and you've been pardoned and you've been told you can leave, you still have to walk out of that cell. You still have to accept that pardon. If someone wants to give you a gift, you still have to accept that gift. If someone says, hey, I deposited $10,000 in your bank account, but you never withdraw that money or you never access it in any way, then it's of no value to you. And the same is true regarding the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. It's near. It's within our reach. But have we actually reached? Are we reaching out? Are we appropriating it? Are we taking hold of that kingdom? Are we accessing it. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. Now he said, I want you to pray. I want you to preach the kingdom now. Now it's here. Now there are many, many scriptures that prove this. I'll touch on one in just a moment. 
But for those of you who think that the kingdom is just something in the future when the Lord physically returns, then you're missing the central theme of the gospel. The kingdom is here now. The kingdom is here now. Jesus said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom is here. It's near. It's at hand. The kingdom is available. So how are we to respond to the message of the kingdom? Matthew 4, 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how do we respond to the message of the kingdom? We have to repent. When did you hear Repentance preached in church the last time. <laughs> you know, repentance isn't a negative term. A lot of people think it is. The, the, the Greek word, metanaeo, means not only to have remorse for doing bad things for how you used to live previously, but it also has the idea of actually in, engaging in a new way of thinking, uh, a new way of living. The idea is to think differently is what it means, to think differently. Isn't that interesting? You know, when we were, Paul said, when I was a child, I I thought like a child. I thought like a child. But then when I grew up, when I became an adult, I think differently. There's, there's a call to a new way of thinking. And what is that way of thinking? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul speaks of this repeatedly in his writings. He says, we have the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you. Think like Jesus thinks. Think according to God's will. What is God's perspective? What is God's thought on the situation, on the issue at hand? We have to think according to the way of the kingdom of God. A lifestyle of repentance. Do you know that repentance is a lifestyle? If it means a new way of thinking, then Does that mean just, well, hey, I I stopped doing all those bad things. You probably haven't stopped doing all those bad things. Come on, be honest. (laughs) But even if you have, it isn't just referring to ceasing from sinning and, and, you know, thinking terrible things, negative thoughts, but it means begin to think like Christ. A new way of thinking which results in a new way of living. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we have to begin to think differently. Now listen, there was a time when Peter had this incredible encounter with the Lord. It's, it's in Matthew 16. Here they are at Caesarea Philippi, which right there was a place called the gate of hell. That's what they called it. And while they're there at Caesarea Philippi, what ends up happening is Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? So Peter responds, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're his, some say you're that. And then he looks at him, he says, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. 
So he's saying this came by revelation. This came by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed this to you, who I really am. And then he began to speak to Peter about how Peter, he said, I'll build, you know, he said, I will build my house. You're Peter, you're Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and so on. And, and he promised Peter that he'd be instrumental in seeing the kingdom expand on the earth. The ecclesia would go forth and build the kingdom of God on the earth. And then what ends up happening is just a few minutes later, Jesus starts talking about the imminence of his death. I'm going to go to the cross soon. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter looks at him and the Greek says that he looked at him and he said, God forbid, merciful, merciful, God forbid, it shall not be so. In other words, Jesus, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you to tell me you're going to die and go to the cross. I reject that, Jesus. I don't accept that. And then Jesus looks at him in Matthew 16, 23, and he turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's his homeboy. (laughs) Like Peter's, Peter's like his best friend. And he just speaks and blesses him and tells him how awesome he is. Then he turns and he says, get behind me, Satan. Do you know that you can allow Satan to use you by having a mind that is not sanctified and yielded to the truth of God's word? The Bible says, you are a hindrance to me, Peter. Come on now. I heard someone say, Recently, I think it was on Wednesday night, someone spoke about how God speaks to us. Actually, I think it was on a Zoom call I was on recently. I'm all Zoomed out. But on that Zoom call, someone said, there's like three voices, right? There's God's voice, there's the devil's voice, and then there's your voice. Well, sometimes your voice and the, not my voice sounds, it, we, don't, we can't distinguish the devil's voice from our own voice. Sometimes we even confuse it with God's voice. Why? You're not mindful of the things of God. Your mind is on worldly things, earthly things. Your mind is not on the spiritual. You don't think about the spiritual. You think about the earthly. Wow. This is powerful, guys. See, the value system of the kingdom is often entirely antithetical to the culture and thinking of this world. Jesus said, if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to reign, you've got to serve. If you want to become strong, you need to be weak. If you want to conquer, you need to submit. How about that? How about that? <laughs> right? So, listen. Regarding living in the kingdom of God, one of the first things we need to understand that the kingdom is not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's not a democracy. It is, in fact, an absolute monarchy. For that reason, God has no constitution to bind him. He does not require consent from those he governs to rule over them. Hello? He's not limited or restricted by a referenda or by majority vote or by minority government. (laughs) Minority government is 20% of his people want him to rule, but the 80% want to do it their way. God's like... No. 
It, it doesn't work that way. It, it doesn't work this, that way. See, see, democracies have what we call citizens. But a monarchy, and what is actually known as an absolute monarchy, okay? That's the proper term. An absolute monarchy does, it has certainly citizens. You're a citizen, but there's actually another term that's used, and that term is subject. A subject. Isn't that interesting? A subject. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a subject is one who lives in the territory of, listen to this, one who lives in the territory of, enjoys the protection of, and owes allegiance to a sovereign power or state. There's three characteristics of a subject. Okay, guess what? It applies to the kingdom of God as well. You see, when it comes to living in in the kingdom, all three of these aspects are applicable to us today. First of all, we are to live in the territory of the king, our king, Jesus. We're to live in that territory. Listen, what what am I speaking about? I'm speaking about entering the borders. In a time when borders all over the world are sealed closed. I talked to friends recently. They said the government in Australia, the prime minister has announced they're not allowing flights into Australia until at least July 2021. I spoke with another friend of mine who lives in New Zealand, and he told me that they slashed their budget for international travel 90%. And they've sent most of their international uh, aircrafts to the United States and put it in storage. And, the, and, most, and a lot of the other ones are being converted to cargoes. Why? How for how long? Two to three years. New Zealand is not expecting international travel to go back to normal for two to three years. Two to three years. I, I, I did not want to hear this stuff. Like, I don't like to hear this stuff. It bothers me. And you know what, guys? The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what is happening in the natural. God has opened wide his borders. <laughs> He's opened wide the borders to his kingdom. And he doesn't care if you have a visa. He doesn't care what nationality you're from. Whosoever may come, just believe, repent, and believe the gospel, and come into the kingdom. The borders are wide open. Thank you. The borders are wide open to God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Praise be to his holy name. Listen, when we're born again, we move literally. We shift from one kingdom to another. When you, if you moved to Canada from another country, you know, you literally moved from one kingdom form of government to to one nation, perhaps different culture, set of laws. It's completely different. Listen, the Bible says this in Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Guys, you are in a new kingdom. In Philippians, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, meaning the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven because Jews don't use the name of God. But the other writers of the gospels refer to it as the kingdom of, of God. Same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Same thing. So what is happening here is he's saying the gospel brings us from one place into another. So it's speaking about expanding the borders. It's, it's speaking about extending the borders so that more and more people come into his kingdom. You know, make no mistake about it. The Bible is unapologetic that the Lord's intention is to rule and reign over all the people of the earth. God is going to take over the world. Islam wants to take over the world. But God, the Bible is very clear. He's, he's going to take over the world. That's his rule. That's his, that's his intention. That's his mission. So that all peoples of the earth will worship him. So when we preach the kingdom of God is at hand, we are in essence driving a stake into the ground. We are, flat, we are planting the flag of the kingdom in the earth, claiming it for King Jesus, that this space would become his place. That's what we're doing. As above, so beneath. So when Jesus said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said, whenever you go into a city, whenever you go into a town, even when you go into a person's home, preach. And the first thing he said is say the kingdom is at hand. What is he saying? He's saying, God says this belongs to him. God says you belong to him. God says this city belongs to him. And God's laying claim of it. He's driving a stake into the ground. He's put a flag in here and he's claiming it. Now, if you repent, you're going to be blessed because he's a good God. Listen to this. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Verse 14. Then to him, the ancient, who is this one? This is Jesus. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. He's got it, guys. He's claiming the earth. It's his. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God says it belongs to Him. It's His. I'm claiming these people. They belong to me. Now I want you to go and let them know. I want you to go and tell them there's a better way, there's a better government. Seriously, after when World War II came to an end and there were certain nations that had been taken over and and were under the the oppression of the Nazis and so on, and these nations which were liberated by the Allies in particular is what I'm referring to, they welcomed the Allies. They welcomed the Allies. Why? Because they had no freedom. They were oppressed. They were hungry. Life was terrible. Life was difficult. And when people understand 
that the kingdom of God is a good kingdom, they will welcome it with open arms. If they can get over the fact that they're blinded by the enemy, that they have their own sinful and selfish desires, and if, and if the Lord can break through that by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he, and he can, of course, then what happens is they will open up their arms and they will freely embrace the kingdom of God. And then this brings us to our second point, which is a subject is one who enjoys the benefits and protection of a kingdom. A subject is one who experiences the benefits and the protection of a kingdom. God is a good God. His rule is a righteous rule. He's a just God. Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. He's a just God. He's a good God. He wants to give people peace. When his reign is established on the earth, people know freedom. People know uh, they experience, you know, justice. As a result of his rule of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is the place that man was created to live in from the very foundation of the earth. Do you know that? When God created man, there was no nations at that time. There were no countries. There were no boundaries or borders or, or this nation or that nation. There wasn't. But there was one thing. It's the kingdom. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying the kingdom was established in the very beginning? Yes, I am. That was always part of God's plan. Well, John the Baptist preached the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. And we actually saw that Isaiah spoke about his kingdom. We just read it. But the Bible is clear. Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, 34... That at the end, when Jesus returns, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you, when? From the foundation of the world. We're going to come into the fullness of that kingdom. We experience it now. We're living in it. One scholar calls it the kingdom now, but not yet. That tension. We're in it now, but we're, we, we're not going to experience the full manifestation of that kingdom. The Bible says, until Jesus returns and the final enemy to be defeated is death. 1 Corinthians 15. And the kingdom will be consummated when the Lord Jesus returns. You see, the gospel of the kingdom is actually all about seeing the earth and everything in it restored to its original utopian design and intention. Isn't it interesting that Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and he says to them, if you overcome, you will inherit. He speaks about the paradise of God. He speaks about you will will live in the paradise of God. That's the word he uses. The word that is translated paradise literally means, it's a Persian term originally, it literally means garden. You're going to inherit the garden. Does that sound familiar? Adam and Eve were lost the garden, 
forfeited the garden and all the benefits as a result of sin. Jesus reclaimed it, what was lost as a result of their sin when he was praying just outside of the garden of Gethsemane. In John 17, 22, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given them that they may be one. What was lost? The glory, the oneness with the Father, the communion with the Father. Jesus restored it while he was praying, literally, outside. That was a prophetic gesture. Of course, it happened. as was culminated because of the, what he did on the cross. But he is claiming that prophetically. It's an amazing thing. See, listen. Everything that was lost. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Doesn't say those, they, them that are lost, that which was lost. That is impersonal. It's not speaking of a person, but a thing, that which was lost. How many like it if somebody says that person? You know that one. You don't like that, right? That's not, it's impersonal. So that which was lost, past tense, was lost. People are lost now. He's not speaking of people. That which was lost. What was lost in the garden? Intimacy with the Father, glory, power, dominion, all of those things. And of course, what entered into the world as a result of their sin, we know. You see, Jesus wants to restore, and he does restore through his kingdom, the benefits and blessings of life in his kingdom, authority, power, protection, provision, peace. You see, I remember when we moved back to Canada, happened to me, for me twice, because I came here in January. When I get off the plane, you walk up to the immigration guys, the Canada border guys, and what do I do? Pull out my passport. They look at my passport, and they say, Canada. Oh, you're, you're a Canadian? Yes. So they ask you a few questions. Where have you been? I've been living overseas. Okay, what's your plan? I'm visiting right now, but I'm looking at moving back here. I was born here. Listen, guys. When we're born again, we're citizens. We're subjects of God's kingdom. He treats us uh, not as foreigners, not as, as refugees, not even as people who, who are aspiring to be his children, his subjects. But he treats us on that basis. It doesn't matter of our ethnicity, our education, our background. We all have a passport from the kingdom of heaven when we know Jesus Christ. Come on, we're all dual citizens. You might have two or three passports, I don't know. But don't forget, you have a passport from heaven. <laughs> So what happens is when you, when you move to a country and you're not a citizen or, or even a permanent resident of that country, then you have what's called a work permit, a work permit. You have work authorization. But there are many things that are restricted to you. You can't vote. When we lived in Australia, we couldn't vote. 
We didn't have access to the public health care system. We had to purchase private insurance. We didn't have access to all of the benefits that were available to the citizens of that nation. So every time I flew overseas and I came back to Australia, when I entered back into the country, I gave them my passport. But I want you to understand something. They didn't process my admission into the country based on my passport. They scanned my passport, but they were looking for something else. Do you know what it was they were looking for? They were looking for a digital work permit that was attached to my passport. It doesn't matter if, I, if, if what my passport is from Canada. I wasn't getting into the country without that work permit. <laughs> you see, this is the way it is with the kingdom. A lot of people try to relate to God on the basis of a work permit, a business card. But God says, I want you to relate to me on the basis of your passport, that you belong to my kingdom. And because you belong to my kingdom, I want you to recognize that there are so many things, so many benefits, so many blessings that are available to you. It says, David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He renews my youth like an eagle. David is saying, I am going to bless God and not forget all of his benefits. The benefits are amazing. The benefits, the blessings, the privileges of being a child, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's an amazing thing. But you know, the third characteristic of a subject is the subject is a person who owes allegiance to a sovereign power or state. The dictionary continues to to define this as one that is placed under authority or control. A subject is a person who's placed under authority or control. They owe allegiance to that sovereign power or that state. You see, as a citizen of Canada, you have rights, you have privileges, but you also have responsibilities. Try not paying your taxes. Break the law. You see, you have responsibilities. You have clearly commitments. Jesus said in Matthew 28... 19 to 20, he was talking about teaching people, discipling them. By the way, discipleship has to do basically with making subjects of the kingdom, teaching people how to become, how to live in the culture of the kingdom. That's what discipleship really is. And then what happens? He says, teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. So we have responsibilities, right? It's very interesting. When, when someone becomes um, a citizen in Canada... Okay, if they come from another nation and then they become a citizen, there's, listen, I've never had to do this, so correct me if I'm wrong. There's, what I, I looked this up and it says, this is the text of the current oath of citizenship. 
The current oath of citizenship says, I swear, or affirm, that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors, and that I will faithfully observe the laws of Canada and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. You see? There's responsibilities. Not just rights. In the kingdom, we have responsibilities. We have pledged our allegiance to Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we must be faithful. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 5, he speaks of apostles who were sent out. Literally, apostle means those who are sent out. A person who's sent out. Well, it's very interesting because the word apostle was originally a secular term born from the Roman Empire. And literally, what it means is it was a person, an apostle was a person similar to an ambassador who was sent out by the emperor to do two things. To represent Rome and to cultivate the culture of the Roman Empire within a newly conquered territory. So this apostle would come into the land sent by the emperor, and they would say, okay, we've conquered this place. So the apostle would be sent in to teach the people the culture of Rome. He would bring with him educators, philosophers. He would bring with him linguistic experts. He would bring with him artists and and so many different things to teach these people how to live in this new culture called the Roman Empire. The apostle was responsible to reshape the culture and bring and teach the new subjects the values and practices of Rome. You remember the expression, in Rome do as the the Romans do, okay? Do you know how that originated? I didn't know either. I Googled it. It said it's attributed to St. Augustine. St. Monica, that was Augustine's mom, they, one day, they went from Milan, where they lived, to Rome. And here's what they found out. When they went there to visit, they, they came there and they realized that on a Saturday in Rome, you had to fast. Like they were looking forward to eating some good food. They get to Rome, it's Saturday, and they're like, everything's shut down. What is this, COVID-19? And, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's fasting in Rome. Hey, we're part of the Roman Empire. We, we live in Milan and we don't have to fast on a Saturday. Well, in Rome, do as the Romans do. <laughs> in the kingdom of God, do as the kingdom people do. Do as the citizens of heaven do. Listen, if you are a citizen of Rome, you had certain privileges. Number one, the right to vote. Two, the right to hold office. Three, the right to own property. The right to have a lawful marriage. The right to have children become Roman citizens automatically. The right not to pay certain types of taxes, especially local taxes. The right to have a legal trial with the judge. The right to appeal a decision. Furthermore, no Roman citizen could be tortured, whipped, or receive the death penalty. But there was one exception. Guess what? If they were found guilty of treason. If we want all of the benefits and the blessings of the kingdom, if we want all that God has available to us, we have to be submitted 
we want authority, we want power, we have to be submitted. Treason is the crime of betraying a nation or a sovereign by acts considered dangerous to security. In England, treason is defined in, in one way as conspiring to overthrow the government, conspiring to overthrow the government, listen to this, and giving of aid and comfort to the monarch's enemies. If you give aid or comfort to the queen's enemies, that's treason. Wow. Jesus taught us only those who are in allegiance to the king and submitted to the ways of the kingdom have legal rights. Only those who are submitted. You see, I want to close with this scripture. Romans 8 9 says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's at hostility with God. James is writing to believers, and he says this in verse 4, chapter 4. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever desires or chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. That's the passion. Listen, that's treason. That's treason. You become the enemy of God. James said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The word resist means he fights. I wouldn't want to get in a fight with God. God fights against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists. That's why the Bible says, therefore, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee. A lot of people resisting the devil, he's not fleeing. Why? Because they're not submitted to God. They're not under the authority of the kingdom. They're engaged in acts of treason. They are aiding and abetting the enemies of the king. If you love this world in its wicked, evil state, you become an enemy of God. That's what it says. That's terrible. That's terrible. What a terrible thing. So the message of the gospel is focused on extending the borders of the kingdom to all nations throughout the world. Secondly, it's all about establishing people in the, in the culture of the kingdom so that they partake of all the benefits and the blessings of the kingdom. And then lastly, it's educating them about their responsibilities. Educating them about their responsibilities. You want to be blessed. You want the things that God has promised you. There are responsibilities. There are requirements. There is protocol. There is a culture. We have to learn how to live properly in God's kingdom. There is a right and a wrong way to live in God's kingdom. There is a way... The Bible says it seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. A way that seems right to a man, the end thereof is death. See, God has a way to approach him. God has a way to worship him. God has a way to stand before him. We know the story about, about Uzzah and how that David said, you know what, we're going to transport the ark and we're going to bring it back. And, and then what did they do? They put it on 
a cart. And when the oxen stumbled and the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall, they reached out and touched it. And what happened to this man? Uzzah. He died. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right. You see, there was a specific way they were to transport that. But they didn't. Listen, there's a way we're to worship God. There's a way we're to approach him. There's a way we're to serve him. There's a way we're to live in his kingdom. And when we learn what the requirements and the culture of the kingdom is, then that's when we experience the fullness of his blessing and his favor upon our lives. And we also, in turn, teach other people, and that's what discipleship is all about. We have so many people that profess to know Jesus Christ throughout the earth that have never learned the requirements and the culture of the kingdom of God. They don't understand his ways. Psalm 103.7 says that you may known your ways to Moses, your acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel saw God's mighty acts, the miracle, but only Moses knew his ways. Only Moses could approach him in intimacy. Only Moses could come before him in a way that caused God to look at him with favor and release his power and the blessings of God and even at times intervene and show mercy and grace to the whole nation because Moses knew his ways. God is looking for people that know what pleases him, that know how to live and behave in his kingdom. The culture, the protocol, all of the things that he requires. 